Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to make a name for yourself in the world of fashion. Though I do think if you watched the movie Bruno and just did the opposite of everything that happens in like the first 10 minutes, you'd be well on your way. Okay. I think so. That sounds like a good tip. Yeah. That's a good instructional instructional video right there. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, my name's Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Martin. I almost said Andrew because I did listen to Money Matters for three years, but no, you're not Andrew. I'm not Andrew. Why aren't you? Well, that's a good question. And could could you And to be honest, I don't really have a good answer for why I'm not Andrew. I could have been born Andrew, but I, I simply wasn't for some reason. Did your parents ever tell you what their candidate names were for you? I don't know. I may not have had very many candidate names since I'm named after my grandfather. Oh, yeah, it's the same for me. They were like, we're either going to name you John after your great-grandfather or Thomas after your grandfather, and they won't I guess I've never thought to ask. Maybe there's something cool in there. Dude, if everyone's named after their grandfather, like, when when do new names... You gotta have, like... When you hate your grandfather. Oh, there it is. I hate that guy. You hate every male parental figure in your entire family. I guess they would have to hate their dad. Then, Then they wouldn't name their... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, none of the grandfather stuff. I'm going with, like, Optimus Prime. It's a fair name. It's a good name. Yeah, I think so. Uh, So this week we're going to do an episode that I think is uh, going to be mostly, like, preparatory for people. Because we're going to talk about whether or not you should rent a house or buy a house. I guess, like, we're going to do the whole rent versus buy debate. Um, I realize that a lot of people listening to this podcast are in high school. They're early in college. Or they have no money, and they're like, this is a moot point for me. But, uh, like Batman, I like being prepared. That's I see fair. the value in preparation and of knowing uh, things before I jump into making big decisions. So, because I've come to the point in my life where this is a very relevant debate to me, it's something I'm interested in, and I wanted to get it on the podcast so people kind of like know what to consider when they eventually get to that point in their lives. Yeah, at some you know. point, I assume they will live somewhere. Yeah, they're going to live somewhere. Um, This is probably going to be an episode with some links to research. I know that I at least have a couple of different calculators that I want to link people to so they can actually compare the the numbers. Um, So I'm just going to put the show notes link right up front this time. If you want to find those links, you can go over to CIGpodcast.com slash 248. Yes. I'm always real bad at knowing the episode numbers. Pretty sure that's the one. Yeah, 248, cigpodcast.com slash 248, and you can find all those links. So before we get into all this detail, though, I want to ask, you just went to PodCon. I did. How many How many uh, screaming fans did you have to run away from? Oh, none. It's not the right audience. <laughs> it was fun to be there, though. Yeah. And I liked a few of the panels I listened to, and I love everything about the Northwest, which was really the reason I went. There's like an excuse to go to Seattle. But PodCon was like a, like a bonus. It was mm-hmm. cool. Also... I'm I'm pretty much I stay out of the way. You're like stealth mode. You know, I didn't I didn't try to talk to anyone. I'm just I was just there to like listen and then go experience the Northwest and hang out with friends. Yeah. So, so. nobody recognized you? No. This doesn't surprise me cuz at VidCon, I mean, I figured like you know, have a million subscribers on YouTube, a lot of people are going to recognize you. Nah, you'd, not when you're an educational think, creator. You'd think that. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of the podcasts there were more of entertainment. So a lot, some of them were fiction or like Welcome to Night Vale was there. It's a good podcast. Um, a lot, a lot of great stuff. And I got some ideas listening to some of the panels, but it was really more of a I'm taking a vacation to the Northwest sort yeah. of a deal. Nice. What ideas? Anything that we should implement? Well. I don't remember it at any moment. I haven't, I haven't written down. I wrote oh. some stuff down during right. a panel. Cool. But it was cool. Also, it was cool I get to because I got to see John Green speak for the first time. Oh, yeah. And given that he had the accidental effect, well, mildly on purpose, if he was being open about it, of telling, letting me know through videos that I had OCD, 
Then, after that, coincidentally publishing a book where the main character has OCD that I enjoyed. And then I'm, like, so much better off now. So, like, he's made a difference that he's not aware of. It was cool to see him speak in person. Yeah. Did you get to talk to him at all? Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know that um, – I'm not familiar with him liking to do that a lot. Oh, yeah. To, like, meet throngs of – crowds yeah and i guess like and we were in the same hotel but were we at, were kind of at weird hours because we were hanging out PodCon, with friends but you weren't like a featured podcaster. no i wouldn't so have been probably i wouldn't have been back anywhere that he was that's no. the only reason i really got to talk to him is because we, we were using the same elevator for the same yeah. hotel rooms yeah. at one point which is pretty cool uh cool i'll be interested to see what you learned um i do remember when i went to a conference last year there were these guys that were like we run a podcast where we grade other podcasts so can we grade an episode? And I remember I gave them episode 201, which was our very first three-camera episode. But it was kind of rough because it was five questions. Oh, no. And we were still rambly. And uh, I don't know. That that was like their main feedback. They were like, the, the chemistry is great. The video quality is great. The audio quality is great, which is rare for a video podcast. But they just sort of droned on about a bunch of random stuff before ever introducing the topic. So... I was very, I was actually very glad to get that feedback because that is why we now do the intros. We do the at least a preview of what the topic is yeah. before all the banter, and I think it's improved the show. Anywho, so again, I know that this is a topic that is probably like a few years off for most people listening to this podcast, but I think there comes a time in most people's lives where they they start thinking about buying a home. Not everyone will buy a home, but I think it's like, what, it's the American dream, right? It does seem like the thing you're supposed to do. Yes. And we had our uh, first home buying episode a few months ago where we just talked about the process of doing research, how to kind of narrow down what you want, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to consider this to be like episode two in our home buying series uh, because it represents the next stage in my journey from that position which was to decide that I'm still going to rent. And you decided the same thing too. I did indeed. Yeah. Um, And I guess like it's a little bit of a different situation because I I think like right now you're probably not ready to buy a house. No, it's it's more like I decided that after surgery made me decide. Yeah, that's true. That also, to be fair, I've become slightly less sure of where I want to be long term. Mm -hmm. And that leads to that decision as well. And that's an important factor. Um, For me and Anna, we were we were like starting to heavily consider actually buying a house. Recently? Yeah. We went home for Christmas and went up to her uncle's and aunt's place for Christmas. Their house was awesome. I was really enamored with their basement because their basement has a fireplace. And then he had built like this custom shelving thing that kind of acted like an entertainment center, but it was literally like built into the wall over the brick of the fireplace. So he had like this giant TV over it. And it wasn't like a like set it down on the ground kind of entertainment center. He had like built it into the wall. Okay. So it was really cool. And he had like a workshop in the back room of the basement. And I was just, I was a little jealous. And I was like, I want this. I want a workshop in my house. And I want to be able to build things and customize it. So we drive home for Christmas. Uh, or I guess we drive back to Denver after Christmas. A snowstorm shuts down I-80. So we have classic to stay. Classic I-80. Classic I-80, yes. So we have to stay the night in York, Nebraska at a Holiday Inn, just waiting for the um, interstate to open. And because there's really nothing to do, we're just looking at houses. And we had still thought we were going to rent a house. We are going to move out of this apartment, just get a house and rent it for a while. And then I started looking at the southern area of Denver where Littleton is. And I know you'd looked there too. Yeah. And I was like, this, this is what the reality distortion bubble of Denver's housing market does to you. You start looking at houses that are like $500,000 and think, oh, that's not that that's bad. Not that bad. Yeah. Like, okay, I can't do a 20% down payment on that. But what if I did like 5%, you know, I, I could probably save that up in a little while and probably do that and, you know, pay PMI yeah. for a while. But but I could do that. And you, know, you start thinking about if I own it, I could do all these things that I want to do. So we were heavily considering buying a house to the point where I actually put in a tour request for a house that we had found down there. And we were like doing proximity comparisons to grocery stores and coffee shops and parks and all kinds of stuff. And we were getting kind of excited about it. And then I took a few days to think about it, did some research about the housing market right now and came to the conclusion that it isn't a good idea. So we are moving in about a week and a half 
but it is to another rental. Yeah, it's a good thing you figured that out before you before you did it. You know, you did it. Yeah, that's so, that's again, the thing about that. It's like a billion year long decision. Yeah. Batman is always prepared. Yeah, you know, Batman didn't have to prepare to buy a house because he uh, no, he had a silver spoon, a gigantic mansion with a cave underneath it. He's got that bat privilege. That. So some of us actually have to be more prepared than Batman. I have contingency plans to fight all the Justice League members if they ever become evil, and I'm researching how to buy a house. That's fair. So that's true. That is I'm more just work. Just saying. Have you ever seen Batman and me in the same room at the same time? Uh, so so I wrote a bunch of notes down here about this comparison because a lot of people are gonna come to the exact same, I guess, crossroads that I came to. And I wanted to talk about some of the decisions I made, some of the factors I considered, and uh, some of the data that you can actually look at. So I think what is going to bring this pe- uh, people to this crossroads sooner rather than later is the fact that at least in the United States, you can get a house by paying just 3% down. Oh, yeah, through one of the... Now, it used to be FHA, a program. which was the Federal Housing Administration. They did like these first-time homebuyer programs where you could pay 3.5% down. In 2019, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac actually lowered conventional mortgages down to 3%. Really? Which is really weird to me because I've been reading that like it's like interest rates on loans for business loans and stuff are getting higher. Um, hmm. In fact, I just was listening to Listen to Money Matters the other day, and Matt was saying a bunch of businesses on Boulder's main Pearl Street Strip are closing because the rents are going up, and it's getting harder to get loans for to keep businesses afloat. So I find it weird that it's getting easier to get into a new house through conventional mortgages, but hey, that's a thing. So that means like if you are looking at, say, a $200,000 house, which is not unreasonable in places like Des Moines. Like you and I live in Denver. Anybody listening to this from like New York or Portland or one of the big cities that's hot right now is going to be like $200,000. But Des Moines, Iowa, oh, you can a, get. That's a good place in Iowa. In fact, in Des Moines, I, I found a a really nice, it's like a duplex, but it's like a duplex basically version of the house we lived in in Ankeny. So like brand ah. new, nice, built with all the fancy granite cabinets and everything. $150,000 for like two bedrooms. I mean, it's a duplex, but you can still own it with a yard and everything. So I'm just using $200,000 as my math here. If you're doing that and you're doing a 3% down, that's like $6,000. Now you got to pay closing costs on top of that. And closing costs can be anywhere from like three to 5% of the purchase price. So I don't know, that could be an extra 10 grand. But like, I think the average person with an out-of-college job could save up 16 grand in a couple of years for a house. Like it's more achievable than a 20 or yeah. Yeah. 20% of that. Yeah. So, and just for context, for most people listening to this, like the, the conventional wisdom is you should put 20% down for your down payment, which this is why people tend to not buy homes right now. Like home ownership is 8% lower for millennials than it was for the previous two generations when they were in our age range. And this is part of the reason most of us are graduating with a buttload of student debt and Everyone's like, you got to come up with 20% for down payment. And everyone's moving to these big, hot new cities because that's where the jobs are. And they're like, well, 20% of a $500,000 house is 100 grand. Yeah. Like who has 100 grand laying around? Basically no one. Um, but with 3%, like it's, it's more doable. So I guess the question is like if you have the means, whether it is actually 20% if you're trying to avoid this private mortgage insurance, which we talked about on our first house buying episode, uh, or if you want to just – go all out and just do the 3% and get a house as soon as possible. Like what are the considerations you should make? Um, The first thing I'm going to say is do the math. There are good calculators out there. There's one at the NY Times. There's one at NerdWallet where you can literally compare the cost of homeownership on a monthly basis. And it'll tell you like if you can rent for less than this in a comparable house, like you should rent. Otherwise, you should. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty interesting. And there's more factors you can put in there too, which we're going to talk about, like how long you plan to stay there, things like that. I mean, obviously, this is a big consideration for you. You were like, maybe I want a house. And now you're like, well, maybe I want to live in the Northwest someday. Yeah, where originally you the know? plan was Iowa, then it moved to Minnesota. Then it was like, <laughs> oh, I can't move yet. And now it might be the Northwest. So yeah. like clearly buying a house at any point would have yeah. been exactly. a, a mess. It would have been a huge mess. Um, so you kind of have to be sure. But you can do this, this breakdown of the actual like financial feasibility of it. And this is going to change based on where you want to live and what kind of place you want to live in. For example, 
when Anna and I were looking at the Washington Park neighborhood of Denver, which is fairly central, it's about a 10 minute drive to downtown, maybe even five, um, renting is the clear option because like, I mean, houses there aren't cheap. They're like anywhere from $2,500 a month to $3,500 a month. But to buy houses there, it's like anywhere from 650,000 to a million. And um, one thing I will link to in the show notes is a publicly available version of my my personal financial planning spreadsheet where I've built a house planning expense tracker. And um, this will let you see what the mortgage payment plus PMI plus maintenance plus property taxes, all these things add up to. And if you put $650,000 in there, you're gonna end up with an estimated monthly total cost of ownership that is a lot higher than what they're renting for. So. My, my theory behind this is that the housing market has like kind of in a bubble right now at Denver. So the prices for buying are rapidly inflating, but then like the rental prices aren't matching because your average renter is not the same demographic. So you can't, you can't rent out a house for $5,000, even if, even if you would sell it to somebody for what would amount to 500 or $5,000 in ownership cost if they were to own it, just different types of people are looking to rent versus buy. Um, so right now, like if you want to live in a nice neighborhood in Denver, that's not super far out from the downtown core and you want a, like a single family house, renting kind of makes sense in a lot of neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, it's more freedom. If you, if you really want that neighborhood, Mm -hmm. that makes it realistic. Otherwise it's it's like, oh, or I could never live there. Yeah, exactly. Ever. So, and this is, I mean, the factors that uh, that influence this are going to be the type of house you want to get, the neighborhood you want to get, and the, the point in time where you're looking at it. Who knows? It, um, and we're going to do a whole recession episode very soon because I think this is very important in the whole like vein of Batman's preparation. We need to talk about the fact that the U.S. at least has been in a bull market for 10 years. Um, Ray Dalio is saying like in 2020, he thinks a recession is coming. And who knows what that will do to the house prices. Maybe everyone will be underwater on their mortgages and there'll be a bunch of great deals going around. And that's when Maybe. you should swoop in and buy. But right now is not the time to buy, at least not in like Denver, San Francisco, Portland, all the hot markets. Maybe in Des Moines, but. Maybe. So again, that's, there's always local research you need to do. But again, you got to compare the cost of renting versus buying. That's a big thing. Uh, okay. So I discussed my ownership calculator. I think people should use that or use some sort of ownership calculator. Uh, not to toot my own horn, but I have not found anything as comprehensive as mine for estimating total monthly cost of ownership. Though mine may make some assumptions about where I'm going to live. So there may be some numbers in there you have to finagle. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't promise user friendliness. I just promise that it is a good modeling tool for me. It meets my standards, which are high. Uh, Okay. So the thing you mentioned the factor that uh, that matters is like how long do you plan to stay there? Because yeah. if you don't plan on staying in a place for like five years, then what's the point of buying it? Now, if there's I think there's like a there's a small segment of listeners who are like, well, I could live in a house for a year, I could renovate it a little bit, I could flip it, I could make a profit. Like if you want to do that, go ahead. You know, house flipping is certainly a thing. It could be profitable, but it's not in our wheelhouse. I'm not going to recommend it. Because uh, things go the opposite direction where, say, you're our friend Matt and you buy a condo in New Jersey in like an area that people generally don't care about. And then you realize that I don't want to live in New Jersey. So our friend Matt lives in Boulder, but he still owns his condo back in Jersey. Oh. And this is because he has never been able to sell it. He's tried multiple times, but he's never been able to get a price that wouldn't be a huge loss on what he paid and what the mortgage is. So he's been renting it basically for the past five years and renting it on and off because he's had a hard time finding good tenants. So it's like, yeah, you got to be sure, you know? And uh, I know at least one other friend of ours who bought a house and then realized maybe we don't want to live where we bought our house. Maybe we want to move someday, you know, and someday soon. Yeah, and that's that's tough because like how long are mortgages usually? Like 30, 30, years. 30 years or 15. I've never lived somewhere for 30 years. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you never lived I've for never 30 lived years. on earth for 30 years. Yeah, I haven't lived for 30 years yet. That's a lot of time. And even 5 years? I mean, since since going to college, I haven't lived for somewhere that long even. I haven't lived in a place for more than 2 years. 
since going to college. Yeah. It's just been. Yeah. Dorms, 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 on-campus apartment, off-campus apartment, Iowa house. Yeah, no long, no no examples of, like, house longevity. All, like, two years max. Yeah, because we were in the Ankeny house for two years, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was something yeah. like that. So things change, you know? So I would say, like, unless, I don't know, unless maybe you get married early, you have kids early, you have a pretty stable job or something, like, maybe there you have data that would suggest that you're settled for a while. Um, I think long and hard about what your five-year plan is. Does it involve moving across the country? Does it involve growing a family? Does it involve all kinds of things that could change what your requirements are for a house? And if so, like, keep that in mind. Maybe you want to rent for a while. Um, so I have, how long do you plan to stay? Uh, do you want flexibility? You know, again, like when you rent, all you got to do is wait for the lease to end and then you can leave, pack your stuff up, go wherever you want. You're good to go. Yeah. Maybe you work, maybe you work remotely and every year you just want to live in a different city or state or something. You could, that's very easy with renting. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, assuming you don't own a lot that's obnoxious to move, that part's annoying, but you could do it. My friend Colin for many years owned less than 100 things and every four months would move to a new country. Yeah, you can't do that if you buy a house in every country. It doesn't nope. work. <laughs> well, I guess if you're Bill Gates, you could do that. You could do that if you're Bill Gates. Bezos. But I mean, if you're Bill Gates, you don't need anything from this podcast. You're fine. That's true. What if Bill Gates listens maybe, to this podcast, Maybe you though? need like the, the conversation, some of the philosophy behind it, but you don't need anything we say about money. You're Bill Gates. What episode would Bill Gates listen to? Maybe he's probably experienced some burnout. <laughs> maybe Actually, yeah. He probably has. He should listen to 247. That's a good episode. (laughs) But this one, he's probably like, what's what's buying a house? I just tell somebody to do that for me, and then I have a house. Buy me a house. Um, I got to hire a decorator. I need to hire a manager for the decorator. I got to hire a decorator hirer. I have a a Christmas party coming up. I need you to buy me the perfect house and make it the – just perfectly decorated for this party. Yep. Then and then sell it. I don't know. Yeah, sell it. I, I want it on the North Pole. I just I don't want people in my house for the party, but I want a good house for the party. Yeah. Well, you can't even go to the North Pole, can you? It's, it's water, right? Yeah, I think or it is. Maybe it's, it's maybe ice. I think it's primarily. It's not like a huge land mass. Yeah. Well, I mean, Santa's workshop is directly on the North Pole. What if it it's could a be boat. like a float? It's like a houseboat. It's, it's like a houseboat. It's like Rapture, like the city from Bioshock. This be, Santa's workshop. This would be cool. This is going to – yeah. This, oh, my gosh. Okay. Picture Bioshock with all its creepiness but Christmas-themed. And the splicers are elves. And You could, you could like, mod the game. And there's one big daddy, you could, and it's Santa Claus. <laughs> it would – you could mod the game for that. You really could mod somebody the game. Somebody make that. Yeah, somebody out there, please make me a Bioshock Christmas special – that would be amazing. Huh. I remember playing the uh, Team Fortress 2 Christmas and Halloween specials. Those were fun. And then I, I, remember, I think it was Gary's mod. Somebody made like a version of the Team Fortress 2 Christmas or Halloween special and they like modded Shrek into it. Yeah. It's great. It great. You can the always mod Shrek into things. something. You can. My uh, my copy of Left 4 Dead 2 has Shrek as yeah. the heavy or the, yep. the whatever you call it. This week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at Skillshare, who have built an amazing tool for improving your skills and abilities in tons of different areas that can improve your career prospects, but also make you a more creatively capable person. They have tons of courses in video animation and graphic design, in business skills like marketing and analytics, tons of stuff, including a course from yours truly. I have a course over on Skillshare, which launched on January 1st. That's all about creating a productivity system for yourself. The intelligent combination of task management, calendar management, email, file and folder organization, and note-taking, along with some very important meta skills for keeping those systems organized. And if you go through this class, I think you're going to be able to create a system that works really well for you and that stays organized over the long term, which enables you to always be on top of everything going on in your life. And at present moment, over 8,400 people have taken this class, which I am just, I'm honestly kind of flabbergasted with the response to the class. Like people have been taking it in droves. Um, The feedback is, is exceeding what I thought it would be. Um, You know, I'm proud of the class that people are really liking it. So if you want to improve your productivity system and make sure that you are as organized as you possibly could be in 2019, then you are going to want to go over to Skillshare.com 
slash geek to get a two-month free trial of Skillshare, which means that you can take my course for free. Once again, that is Skillshare.com slash geek. And once you're done with my class, you're gonna find over 25,000 other classes on the platform for improving your skills in, again, a ton of different areas. Basically, any kind of professional skill that you can think of, they probably have a class for you. Big thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode, being a big supporter of our show. And another huge thanks goes out to our friends over at Brilliant, who are creating a platform for learning math, science, and computer science incredibly effectively. And what's unique about Brilliant is they take an incredibly intense approach to building their courses with active learning in mind. Meaning immediately once you choose to take one of their courses, whether it's on calculus or math for quantitative trading in finance or gravitational physics or computational biology, you're gonna be immediately thrown into tough problems that immediately engage your creative problem solving abilities. Sometimes you're going to get stuck on these problems. And in those cases, they do have a great wiki with lots of example problems and lots of descriptions of the concepts. And you're going to be able to take that information and come back with new tools to solve those problems. But what you're not going to find yourself doing is sitting through a ton of introductory material. And this has a couple of great benefits. Number one, it keeps your interest very high in the subject material, no matter what it is. But number two, it makes you a better problem solver overall. All of the practice you do in solving problems, no matter what area it's in, makes you, in general, better at solving problems that are gonna come in the future. Now, in addition to their library, which has dozens of different courses, they also have a new feature that launched this year called Daily Problems. And if you have five minutes a day, you can sink your teeth into a new problem that's probably in a new area you haven't considered yet. Solve it because they do give you all the tools you need to solve it. And if you find it interesting, there are links that you can use to find more quizzes and more information about that topic. So if you wanna improve your capabilities in some new areas and expand your base of knowledge, that is a very cool habit to get into. If you wanna start learning for free today, Day, you can go over to brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek. And if you're one of the first 83 people to sign up with that link, you're going to get 20% off their annual premium subscription. Once again, that is brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek. And again, big thanks to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show. Let's get back into it. Okay, so we talked about flexibility. I want to talk about what I think is possibly the most important um, consideration here that people don't think about. And it's what I like to call the war chest concept. You going to war? Going to war. That's Look, fair. life is a battle or a series of battles. L love is a battlefield. Right? Love is a battlefield. All these cliche things. When I think of like the war chest, I think of like what's what's my pool of resources that I have to take action? Like if I'm playing a board game, right? I need resources to take actions. Um a really good example. I've been playing this game called Don't Starve a lot lately. And Don't Starve, it, literally the goal is to not starve. Of course, you can die in a bazillion ways. You can die if you get caught out in the dark without a fire. You can die from freezing. You can die from overheating. You can die from getting killed by wolves. All kinds of things. Um, but the main thing is, like, you don't want to starve. So you have to get food. So the main strategy in this game is you build a base somewhere and then... That's like where you're cooking food, where you're storing a lot of your resources, where you're storing a lot of food. Then you have to leave the base to go do things. And I usually play as kind of like the nomadic person who goes off and gathers resources, comes back to the base. And I've learned that um, no matter how great my base is, if I'm way off on some other part of the map and I'm hungry and there's no food around, that base can't help me. It's like an illiquid asset. I can't tap into uh, it right yeah. now. So this is something that people don't think about when they're buying houses or when they're buying a lot of things. What is in your war chest and do you have access to it? And the problem is when people make their down payments, like they get this goal in mind that they wanna buy a house, they're saving their, for their down payment. And then they go and they buy the house and they basically wipe themselves out. They become what's called house poor. Okay, yeah, yeah, because they, they empty their bank account for Pretty it. Pretty much. And now if literally anything comes up, Mm -hmm. it's too late because you can't just say, could I have some of that? Could I have that back? Yeah, they're not going to give it to that you back. Down, can I, mean, I have that? There, there is a way they can kind of give it back to you. We'll talk about it in a second, but not a whole lot, right? So, now the bank will not let you completely wipe yourself out on the down payment because they want to know that you're like solvent as an owner of the home so you'll actually pay your mortgage every month. That makes but sense. But a lot of people will take their net worth, you know, from something where there's like a, a decent pool of savings there to deal with problems that they come up to being really stretched thin and like getting to the point where like, a, you know, a blown tire on a car could be kind of uh, a dicey thing. Um, so for me, 
I always want to have a war chest. And maybe I think about it because of Don't Starve. I think the real reason I think about it so much is because I was just about to graduate high school in 2008. So were you when the uh, financial crisis hit. I don't know. Did that affect your parents? Because it sure affected mine. I would say possibly. I don't remember the timing. Mm of what happened, but tons of jobs at my uh, dad's place were wiped out yep. for a little bit. Same with my dad's place. I'm pretty sure he lost his job because of it. A lot of his friends lost their jobs and um, things were tight for a little bit. Like, I don't think it was ever like super tight. Like I know you kind of grew up in more oh, yeah. tight. See, that's why it's harder for me to remember because it was always tight. Like, it was it, always tight, yeah. It was never great, but I do believe that at that time, tons of yeah, tons of jobs got wiped out. And I don't ever remember like going hungry or anything like that. But I do remember my parents being like, look, we, we're tapping savings this month to pay for everything. Like there's no money coming in, you know? Yeah. Like, so we can't really buy fancy food this month. Fancy feast is we, too fancy for you. It is too fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I love eating fancy. I feast. love my fancy feast. Wasn't buying it for me at the time. Anyway, this <laughs> podcast is sponsored by fancy feast. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like friskies a little better. So... <laughs> We hate dog food. You yeah. can buy it by the bulk, by like the 10 pound bags, 50 pound bags. 50 pound bag of dog food will last me quite a while, especially if you ration it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the 2008 thing happened. And I just, I remember us being on a really tight shoestring budget for a while. And also just having this fear that I was going to go into college, do my four years and then graduate in the same kind of environment where there were no jobs all the people who were mid-career lost their jobs. So they were coming down and taking all the jobs that were usually reserved for people who were like very early career or the part-time jobs. And then there'd be nothing left for me. So that was like kind of my fear going to college. And uh, I think it was part of the reason that I worked so hard because I felt that I had to just get any advantage I could. Yeah. You know, and maybe that is a good mindset to, I think like maybe, maybe I was able to loosen my guard a bit because the market did recover really well and things kind of, just started shooting back up in the subsequent years. And I graduated in a great financial environment, but Hey, we've been there for 10 years, you know, people getting ready to graduate college in a couple of years. Maybe you ought to think about the fact that it might be a little tighter. Yeah. It's it's like, cause it it could happen. Yeah. And so you need to be ready regardless. mm -hmm. So, I mean, relating this back to buying a house, like say you buy a house in a great market, right? You dwindle your war chest down to very little, but now you get a house. What happens if the recession hits? Or what happens if something else happens? You need to take care of a family member or you lose your job for some other reason, like something, or you got to have a surgery. Yeah. You know? Your war chest is now not there for you because a house is a relatively illiquid asset. So liquidity for anybody who doesn't know means like, do you have access to use this resource right now? How much of a hassle is it to tap into the value of something that you have control yeah. over? Yeah. Like, could you turn uh, it cash, into dollar bills right now? Exactly. Cash in a bank account, super liquid. Cash stuffed in your mattress, very liquid. Unless your house burns down, then it's gone. Um, money in a stock, like a, a mutual fund, sort of liquid. You can take it out, but you're going to pay capital gains tax um, and you have to wait for a while. If you're like taking money from Vanguard to your bank account, that's like a two-day transfer. Okay. So sort of liquid. Money in an IRA, not that liquid because if it's a traditional IRA, there's a penalty for withdrawing it. A house, possibly one of the most illiquid things. Yeah. Because if you need that money back, you have to sell your house. <laughs> I'll sell you the value of the laundry room. Yeah. Huh? Can you want my laundry room? Now, there I mean, are you some could you could you rent it out. You could you could you rent can. out your laundry room, that's but actually, it's still that's yeah. going to take some time to find somebody who wants to live there. And that's true. And that that actually is a good point. You can rent out a room of your house, and a lot of people actually they'll buy a house, they'll rent out one room of it, and that actually makes their mortgage payment very, very. Yeah, uh, but you got if if it happened out of nowhere though, and you got to find the right person, you mm-hmm. got to know that you could trust this person. They live in your house now. Yeah. So this is why. Uh, I do not, and maybe this is maybe this is uh, limiting our growth potential. But I do not invest every dollar that goes into College Info Geek. Like I, for the past five years, have just let the business bank account just grow and grow and grow. And every time it hits a certain threshold, I'm like, all right, well, that's what we need to stay as a, like as a minimum, because the business is growing too. Like we've got nine people on the team now. 
Yeah. If things got tight for a while, well, luckily I could afford to keep paying people for at least a little bit. But if we were if we were just investing every single dollar trying to grow as fast as possible, well, that's uh, when you get to where a lot of companies are right now. Like Tesla right now just had to lay off, I think, like 10% of their workforce. Mm. I that's do not, not want to have an overnight thing force me to like say, sorry, half the people working for me, I just don't have money to pay you anymore. No, that would you not know? be fun. So it's war chest. Think about the war chest. Um, so with, with houses, there is something called a home equity line of credit or a HELOC where you can borrow against the value of your house and it acts just like a credit card, basically. Uh, some people will say like, well, yeah, your house isn't a totally illiquid asset because you got your HELOC. The HELOC isn't really that useful for brand new homeowners, especially if you're somebody who's really gung-ho to get into a house and you put 3% down. And this is because the bank will typically only let you borrow, I think it's no more than 85% of your home's assessed value minus what you owe on it. Ah. So if you put 20% okay. down, like a good home buyer should, then you might have 5% of your home's assessed value to borrow against. So let's go back to our $200,000 example. I put 40 grand down. Um, so I only take out a $160,000 mortgage. So I actually, I own 20% um, of the house, basically myself. That would mean I could tap into 5% of that, which is 10K. So yes, if you did 20% down on a $200,000 house, you would have a $10,000 line of credit you could access. That would act quite like a credit card. I don't exactly know the interest terms and everything because this is not an episode about HELOCs. But uh, if you did the 3% thing, then your HELOC would be zero because your mortgage represents 97% of your house's mm. value. Yeah. And you can only borrow up to the 85 you only have 3% equity, so no credit so for you. So it's, it's going to be years before you can even tap into that mildly liquid asset. Yes. So um, I had this sort of rule in my head. And I don't know if the numbers still work out as as my net worth grows. But um, my friend Andrew Fiebert, who runs Listen Money Matters, when he bought his current, I guess, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. It's like a condo-ish. I don't know. It's a floor of a three-floor building in Hoboken, New Jersey. So basically his house. Um, I think he told me that he parted with about a third of his net worth for the down payment. And he did the 20% down. Okay. I think he did 20% down. It might have been somewhat less. But he kept two-thirds of his net worth liquid or at least in stocks and bonds and mutual funds. So like that's still his war chest. Um, so that was sort of like the rule that I kind of wanted to follow as well. Now, I guess I don't know, like, if I'm going to rent for a long time, like maybe, you know, by the time I'm like 35, that's when I want to buy a house. Will I have, I don't know, I don't know what the percentages will be, but I know that I do want to keep a significant portion of my net worth or at least like a high number of dollars, even if it isn't like the, a, the significant portion, I want to have like a high number of dollars that I can use if I need to, yeah. if I have to help my mom out or if I have to... Um, I don't know, buy a new car for some reason. Like Anna's car is kind of breaking right now. So I didn't really yep. want to do this now, but uh, I'm starting to look at new cars for yeah, her. Yeah, that's what I had to do earlier last year. Yep. That's, it's not like I was like, I really want to buy a car. It's just kind of mm -hmm. suddenly it happened. And ha had we bought that house, like had I scrounged up as much as I could for the down payment, we got into the house and then her car starts breaking, I would be thinking, well, tough luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess we're just going to have to go make more money because we can't buy a new car right now. Yeah. And you don't want to open like 15 trillion more loans than you need. Exactly. Mortgages and car loans and whatever. Mm -hmm. But because we're not doing that, I have the war chest. And if I wanted to, I could go out today and buy our new car in cash. N maybe not a new, new car. Like I, we will probably buy a used You're car. You're going to buy a Tesla? <laughs> I'm going to buy a Tesla. We're probably going to get like, I don't know, like a Subaru Outback from like 2015 or something like that. But yeah, you can get some. Like I could buy that in cash. That is a good feeling, you know? And I, so that's, I would behoove anybody listening to this to keep that feeling, like achieve it. That's your first goal and then keep it. Just know if something happened, I am, I have the freedom to handle it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people in another school of thought who think like your house is, is like an, it could be an asset, right? Because it appraises in, or uh, is that the word appraises? It rises in value, appreciates. That's what it is. Well, and your, and your rent is going toward equity. 
Exactly. Because right? if you're so. paying rent, like a lot of people say, you know, every month you pay rent is month you're, is rent your or money you're flushing down the toilet because you could own a house and you could be paying money into getting equity in that house. And then eventually the value could rise, you could sell it, you could make a profit. It's the American dream. You yeah. Know? But I don't see rent as throwing away money. I see rent as taking care of your expenses, your physical needs while building your war chest. It's like a risk management fee. Anything exactly. that you're paying that you would have you, you would be gaining or whatever that's more because you're just renting is yeah. I'm paying for freedom and the knowledge that I can take a risk. Yeah, I guess like look at it this way. People in the previous generation, they were able to like spend a lot of their life in like the tutorial area of the game where it's like, yeah, you can you can take resources down to nearly zero. It's fine. Like you're gonna get a stable job, it's gonna be fine. Oh yeah, and we're like, I don't Find know. A house, and we're just like, um, I yeah, the economy's probably gonna crash in two years, and like I got a thousand dollars in student loans and all this stuff. Like I don't, I don't think that that our generation is graduating college in the tutorial area. I think like we are swimming in waters that are fraught with danger, and even if it slows down your accumulation of worth or net worth in the long run, it behooves you to build a, a war chest and then think about the house. You yeah. know, it maybe doesn't follow the American dream that our parents wanted us to follow and that they follow themselves, but I think it's smarter. So it's a good feeling, you know, and this kind of goes to this concept I'm thinking about. Like, I think I might've talked about this on the podcast before, but you realize like, you know how like, your nervous system allows your brain to control your hands and arms and eyes and body and everything, right? You can control those? I do control them. What? Or do they control me? I'm actually not sure. But like, yeah, you have like a certain communication network and there's like almost like currency or like there's like blood, right? And and uh, electrical impulses that, that allow you to control this body that allows you to do things. If those are cut off, then you can do less. I think it makes sense to think about the whole like global economic system as like an extension to your body that you control through different means. You control it through communications and you control it through money. So like think about spending all the money you have or depleting your war chest as almost like cutting off an arm because oh. you can't use that now, right? Yeah. So just like you need to keep as many like appendages, appendages of your body available to use and that's a weird concept, but that's the but way that's my the, brain that's thinks That's the goal it. of all life forms is to have as many appendages as possible. Exactly. Like what I'm trying to do is become like a singularity, okay? Yeah. I'm trying to become like a I universal mean, like, spanning entity. I mean, honestly, I thought that was obvious. If there are any listeners who are not trying to become the singularity, then... It's the one guy who just really wants to connect through I mean, like you're going to be. <laughs> so join us. <laughs> have you seen that XKCD comic? <laughs> Um, maybe not. It was a pretty recent one. It was like, uh, oh no, they're probably it's like not. now we're all on Slack except for the one guy who still likes to connect through IRC, and he's just like, oh, I just like it the way I'm set up, man. And then, like <laughs> fifteen thousand years in the future, all humanity is a global singularity except for the one guy who just prefers to yeah. connect through IRC. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it the way I have it set up, man. That's fair. So yeah, uh, that's a weird concept, but think about it. You know, think about what your options are, what your capabilities are, and what spending resources or even cutting off communications would do to your ability to do things. I know you like going phoneless sometimes. I do. I've gotten to the point where I feel like not having my cell phone is like leaving a body part at home. I hate that body part. It's a dumb body part. <laughs> and I realize like it's very nuanced, Cut it right? Off. Because the this, this cell phone, it's almost well, like a drug that's, habit. If it's If you don't use it well, that's a body part that like keeps hitting you in the face and like, stop true. hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. I just need to see if there's another tweet. I'm, I'm missing something. Ow. Yeah. It's a terrible idea. Well, okay. Like if you use it badly. True. And I could downgrade to a dumb phone that maybe has like a web browser and nothing else. Well, I like GPS. So that would be, that would be Ooh, cutting off too many true. fingers. Like, yeah. Access to GPS when you're gone. Like that's a body part. I need that. You know, that that's, one's a good body part. That's like a part. part of your brain. It's very important. Uh, so yeah, I, like you're never going to see me going on a wilderness camping trip and being like, let's leave our cell phones at home because ooh, it'll make it more authentic. Ooh, I don't want to nope. die. I will never I'll do probably that. probably just turn it off. I'll then turn I it could, off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, put, I'll toss it my bag. That way you save I battery have, anyway in case of an emergency. Yeah. yeah. And if I'm going out into the wilderness, I will have a solar charger for my phone. Yeah. Like, look, 
just because like Lewis and Clark did it in the 1800s with no cell phones doesn't mean that you should because Lewis and Clark weren't like, well, you know, like early man didn't have horses or guns. So let's just leave those at home and make it more authentic. No, they brought the <laughs> yeah. tools with them that, that maximize their chances of survival. Hipster success. Lewis and Clark. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Let's move on. I feel like I'm going off in many tangents It's here. okay. We're just talking about having <laughs> lots of arms and stuff. That's it's probably cool. Yeah, I want to become a multi-armed entity. Basically, like, you know, love the tentacle. Uh, anyway. Doc Ock. <laughs> oh, you need to see that Spider-Man movie. I really want to see it. It's really good. Oh, and the animation is so I want to so see it really, really bad. Cool. Yeah. Um, Maybe we should all just go to it tonight. Yeah, anyways. Uh, all right, yeah. last thing I want to talk about is control. This is, like, one of the big reasons people want to own a house. And this is like you and I sat around for many days just being like, oh, I can't wait to have my own house. We can have a garden. I could put a oh, yeah. pull-up bar in the those, backyard. Yeah, those things are great. They sound great. It is great. Um, and it's very easy to fall into, I think, like a binary pattern of thinking where if I'm renting, I'm basically like sleeping in a government lobby where I can't touch anything. And if I'm buying, I have complete control over anything I want to do. When in reality, it's a spectrum. You know, on the buy side, a lot of new houses are in developments where there's an HOA. So a lot of times you can't mm. do what you want to do. Yeah. Some HOAs are very restrictive. Some are more permissive. But on the renting side, there's like a whole spectrum of flexibility depending on who your landlord is. So like our last house, I remember when we got the new contract. It was like, please don't put any holes in the walls whatsoever and no pets and no blah, 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 blah. And I had to go negotiate those things out of the contract. Here, they're like, we don't care if you put holes in the walls. The walls are concrete, so good luck. You got to go buy an impact driver, but we don't care. Um, the new place I'm moving into, it is not a big company running it. It's just a couple that bought this house to uh, have an investment property, and we know them personally. We've had a bunch of good conversations, and they're basically like, look, we want you to treat this place like you own it. You know, We bought this place like as an income generator for us, but we want somebody to live here who's going to enjoy it. And... We don't care if you dig up some part of the backyard to put in a garden. We don't care if you hang up pictures. Like, do what you want. Just care for it like you owned it yourself. So I think, like, if you look out there, if you're like, okay, I can't buy a house, but I want control, look for maybe a single-family dwelling that's owned by a single landlord and then build a personal relationship with that person. And just, you know, if they trust you, they're probably going to lend you some flexibility. Yeah, you may be increasing the value of their investment. Mm -hmm. Because, like, look, if you put a hole in the wall... Like, it's not like it ruins the house. People who own houses put holes in the walls to hang up pictures, and then they sell their houses down the, lo- the road because holes can be patched. You can buy a new roll of sod to put over a patch of yard where you put a garden. You can basically fix anything. I guess, like, the reason that landlords often restrict renters from doing things is because it's more of a hassle, it's more of an expense when you want to re-rent it, and um, there's a trust issue, you know? If I give them an inch, maybe they're going to take a mile. Like if I let them have a pet, maybe they're going to have like a thousand pets. They're going to become a hoarder with, you know, 10,000 cats or something. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the more you know and trust your landlord, the more they're probably going to let you do. So this probably isn't everything. There's probably more that we could consider. But I think this is a decent overview of some of the considerations people should make. Biggest one for me is the war chest. Yeah. And I think the most important part of this really is just Maybe a lot of people picture that they're going to buy a house someday by the default, and they've never even considered not mm-hmm. as a long-term solution. And or that's like, just worth having yeah. that option. Or a lot of authority figures have told them, like, if you aren't buying a house as soon as possible, you're stupid. Like, you're throwing money away. And, I mean, you you aren't building equity right now, but there are other factors to consider. Yeah. I mean, I could say if you're not invested in the most aggressive portfolio in the market, then you're throwing your money away. And I honestly, I could make an argument for that where I would seem right. And if you eat anything other than that Soylent, you're just throwing money away. But I like food. Well, I could show you, I could show you um, over the last 10 years, I could show you a graph of a 100% stock portfolio in emerging markets. And I could show you the return on that. I'd be like, look, if you didn't put your money there, you're an idiot. Yeah. A balanced portfolio with some bonds and some like, Index funds, that's stupid. But again, you're reducing risk. Everything, like when you're when you're producing money um, through investments, everything is risk and reward. The more risk you take on, the more potential reward, but also the greater potential loss if it goes south. Yeah. 
So it's up to the individual listener to figure out what their preferred balance is. But just because somebody who bought a house in the 60s and now owns it outright and doesn't have to pay a mortgage is saying, you're stupid for renting, doesn't mean that your situation is like theirs. Yeah. Maybe their daddy guaranteed them a job and they would never get fired. And they're just like, cool, I could buy a house. Doesn't matter. But we're not in that situation. No. We're running a, comp- like running a company. And like, yeah, who knows, different. YouTube could shut down tomorrow. And YouTube, like, well, sh- YouTube, please do not shut down tomorrow. Hopefully they don't. Just don't. Just don't. That's my advice. I'm going to have to go be a speaker. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be throwing money down yeah. the drain, YouTube. Don't do it. And I mean, I have you contingency love plans, but, you know. Yeah. The bigger things get, the harder those plans become to implement. Yep. Anywho, um, I think that's a good stopping place for this episode. So once again, cigpodcast.com slash 248 is where you can find the show notes for this episode. I'm going to have the um, the two calculators for finding that break-even point for the financial argument there. Uh, I think there may even be a Listen Money Matters episode that we did a while ago on this. So if you want some additional perspectives, uh, we'll link to that. And then we'll also link to that publicly available version of my financial planning spreadsheet if you want to go do like an ownership calculation. Um, there's also some other stuff on there too. So, And as I always say when I talk about the spreadsheet, I don't provide support for it because it was built for me. So yeah, I give it freely to people. I think it's very useful, but there's no support. <laughs> now, fixing it up to use it for yourself, that's your own little problem-solving test. Yeah, it's like a puzzle. That's important. Like think of it as like a free copy of Professor Layton. Like, I'm not charging you for these fun puzzles. You get to look into the cells and tweak the formulas yourself. Yeah. You know? And I have put some notes in my public version, so it's not like it's totally cryptic and esoteric, but it's just I'm not going to answer emails because I have things to do. You should mangle it so all the labels are like one-letter variables so that it's like, I wanted this to be the most efficient data possible. Yeah, I've also minified it, and it's just like it's a giant blob of JSON. It's not even a spreadsheet now. Yeah. You got to figure out how to like import it into a spreadsheet using YAML. <laughs> I'm using acronyms I don't understand now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, collegeinfogeek.com slash resources is another place you can go if you want to find our favorite apps, books, gear we recommend for improving your life as a student or possibly beyond. And if you want to support this podcast, a great way to do so is to write us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes on your desktop computer that helps us bump up the charts over there. And I think Apple Podcasts is still the biggest place where people tend to find us. Otherwise, if you have a friend that could use this podcast or who you think would enjoy it, definitely share it with them. Maybe tell them your favorite episode and they might become a listener as well. And I think that's about it. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.